we're going to talk today about this subject of Christmas all wrapped up and the focus today is love. Last week we talked about hope, next we're going to talk about joy, Christmas Day we're going to talk about peace, but today we're going to talk about love. And I want to talk to you about two great loves and two great names. Um, the first great love is the love of Joseph for Mary and the second great love is the love of God for us, the love of God for the world. And that second great love is explained in the two great names that we have in this passage in Matthew 1, uh, 18 to 25, which the King family uh, dramatised for us earlier. In um, 2016, uh, an advertising poster popped up in Adelaide, and if you're just listening, you, you can't see it, but it, uh, it had a mixed reception, but there's this pop art style cartoon um, of a pregnant woman at one side and a, a, a close-up of a man's face on the other. And on this big billboard it says, you're engaged, your fiancé is pregnant and you're not the father. What a Christmas. I wonder how you'd feel in that situation. I reckon you'd feel angry or confused or betrayed. Uh, and I guess whatever it is you're feeling as you read that uh, little sign, Joseph would have been feeling it in spades. That poster was how a large uh, city church in Adelaide three or four years ago was advertising their Christmas services. You're Joseph, you're engaged, your fiancé is pregnant and you're not the father. What a Christmas. So this morning as we, uh, in, Ma in Matthew's Gospel chapter 1, he begins to tell us this, the Christmas story and he says as much that it's the Christmas story in, in verse 8 and he says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And if you were to read the passage in the next chapter, you might notice that uh, Matthew doesn't tell us the whole Christmas story. He just tells us parts. And it's not the shepherds and the angels and the good news of great joy part of the story that we have in the last part of chapter, chapter 1. Uh, it's really the story told from Joseph's angle. And it's not uh, as exciting, perhaps, as the, the story that came to Mary. From Joseph's point of view, it's not great. You're engaged. Your fiancé is pregnant and you're not the father. What a Christmas. That's, what, that's where we find ourselves in, in the first verse of the passage that we're talking about today. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from, from the Holy Spirit. They're engaged, but more than that, they're actually betrothed. Now, you need to read a little bit about um, Jewish weddings and engagement and betrothal and all that sort of thing. But I reckon betrothal is so close to being married that it's, it's not married. But the, when they were betrothed, the husband-to-be went away and prepared the house uh, for his wife to come. And it was perhaps a 12-month period. In that period, they didn't live together, they didn't sleep together, but they were as good as, uh, as married. And to uh, nullify that, they really had to have a certificate of divorce. In earlier Old Testament times, for being um, unchaste before marriage, uh, it was death by stoning. But by the time we read of this story in the New Testament, uh, they, were, they were using a, a verse in Deuteronomy that allowed for, for divorce in, in circumstances like this. And so Mary is betrothed, she's engaged to Joseph, and yet the signs are very, very obvious that she's pregnant and, and they haven't been sleeping together. And this must have been totally shocking for Joseph to have been confronted with that news. He would have had the right to have accused her of adultery uh, and that would have resulted in a, a public trial and public disgrace for Mary. But instead, after he thought it through, he comes to his decision in verse 19 and it says, Her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
and that would have probably been a, a private divorce just between the, the, the minimum um, two witnesses. So Joseph chooses a path that he feels is the, the kindest to Mary, who he loved. And so he's decided what to do, but then something remarkable happens that changes his mind. And you can say, what a, what a difference a day makes. In uh, verse 20 of Matthew chapter 1, it says this, As he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him a dream in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You know, I reckon Mary had probably been telling Joseph about an angel appearing to her with a message that she'd have a son by the Holy Spirit. But you imagine if you're in Joseph's shoes, that'd be a hard pill to swallow uh, when your fiancé comes to you pregnant and says, oh, I've had a son, but he's, he's, he's actually by the Holy Spirit. There was no other man involved. Um, and yet Joseph now gets the same message from an angel and this child really is from the Holy Spirit and Mary hasn't been unfaithful. And so Joseph does as the angel of the Lord had commanded and he takes Mary as his wife. He doesn't sleep with her until she gives birth to a son and he calls his name Jesus as he'd been instructed to do. And one I think a beautiful thing in the, in the book of Matthew is that Matthew in chapter 1 has a, a genealogy. It's a, uh, a list of, of the descendants um, that came right up to Jesus. And Joseph is recorded in that genealogy as being the earthly father of Jesus, which actually links Jesus back to um, David, uh, which is a, a beautiful thing. So that was a great love, Joseph's love for, for Mary. But it actually pales into comparison to the other great love I want to share with you uh, this morning. Because as the angel continues to speak to Joseph, we hear two names for the baby that's growing in Mary's womb. And these, these two names speak really powerfully of the love of an almighty God for you and for me. In the Bible, names are significant. We've uh, had Matthew and Rebecca uh, staying with us and the, the two little kids, Jonah and Arietta. And as many of you know, Rebecca's expecting twins. And uh, it's been quite a, a, a joke in the family because Jonah has come up with these two names for these twins. And a boy's going to be called Jeja, and the girl's going to be called Cece. And so these twins are referred to as Jeja and Cece. Now, those names mean nothing, absolutely nothing. And I, I trust that those names won't be given to the children when they're born. Um, but names in, in the time, in the Bible times, were really significant. They could tell you a lot about a person. And the two names that the angels, angel gives to Joseph tell us just who this special baby is and why he matters to us, not just at Christmas, but all the time said she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's the first name. It's the name Jesus. It was apparently a common name. It was Jeshua in, in Hebrew. And it actually meant Jehovah or God is our saviour. God saves. It was a popular boy's name in Jesus' day. And so the angel announces to Joseph that he's to be given, that Jesus is to be given the, the name Jesus because he'll rescue his people not from slavery in Egypt or from exile in Babylon or from the oppression of, of Roman rule, which was what they were really hoping for, but he was going to actually save his people from their sins, from the slavery of their own sinfulness and the brokenness of their own hearts that kept God at a distance. And, you know, Jesus came for us too. Jesus, the one who came to save us from our sins, he wants to save us from the destructiveness of our own pride, our lust, our oppression of our others, of others, our lack of love, 
our propensity to want to go our own way and to leave God out of our calculations. And through his life and his death and his resurrection, God has provided a way through Jesus for you and me to be brought back to the Father, brought back into a loving, restored relationship. Paul, when he describes this in uh, 2 Corinthians, he talks about God being in Christ, reconciling the world to himself and no longer counting people's sins against them. What a, what a powerful description of what Jesus has done. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. Paul writes again in 1 Timothy and he says, God our Saviour wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so we have this amazing uh, thing that happens in the incarnation that God takes on human flesh and God in the person of Jesus comes to save broken mankind. Probably the best known verse in the New Testament is John 3.16 and expresses this so beautifully. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. I trust that as you look forward to this Christmas that you can say that you believe in Jesus, that you trust him, that you'll follow him, that you know him as your saviour and your king. Let's come to that second name and it's the name Emmanuel. It's the name which means God with us. It's not a name that's um, given to children. N.T. Wright says it's actually a name that probably would say more about a child than one would normally want to, uh, to dare to say because it actually means God with us and you can't imagine any child taking that name on easily. But in Matthew 1, and 23, it says this, All this took place to fulfil what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The prophet they're referring to is the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 7.14 it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And so this uh, reference back to the promise in Isaiah is a significant one. Emmanuel literally means God with us or with us the God or with us God, as simple as that. And in Jesus we see that God uh, shares our human nature and so he's God come down amongst us. He shares our experiences of life. He shares all that it is to be human. Someone has said it a lot better than I could say it and they said this, Jesus is God with us as he moves in Mary's womb, as he wriggles in the manger straw, as he feeds the hungry and heals the sick. Jesus is God with us as near the end of his life he symbolically takes the bread in his hands and says, this is my body broken for you. Jesus is God with us as he hangs from a cross, gasping for breath and shouting, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He descends into our messy world. He stands in solidarity, solidarity with our human suffering. He plunges deeply into our pain and he understands abandonment. God with us in our humanity means that Jesus can sympathise with us in our weaknesses. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says that he was tempted in every way like we are and yet he didn't sin. I love that passage in Philippians. We were re reflecting on it, a couple of guys with, us, with me this week, 
um, about how Jesus wanted to give us an example of what humility looked like uh, and, and Paul was wanting to explain that in this passage and he says to us, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who even though he was in very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped but he made himself nothing. He took on himself the form of a servant. He became in the likeness of, of, of human sinful flesh and being found in appearance as a man, he, he wasn't just satisfied with that, but he humbled himself and he became obedient to death and even death on a cross. And then it says, God also highly exalted him and gave him a name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. A, a, a book I read recently by a guy called Nathan Vermeer. he said this, he said, Christianity is the only religion in which God reaches down to humans and stoops to our level. Other religions worship a God that humans must continually try to please, try to impress, try to elevate themselves, to earn his favour and approach his level. God is the only God in all of human religion who, who lowers himself as a way of exalting himself. John, in his Gospel, says, the Word, that is Jesus, the Word became human and made his home among us and he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. I want to close today with a, a story and it's a story by a um, Danish philosopher, uh, Kierkegaard, and it's a, very, it's a very long story when you read it. It's a little bit hard to understand, but people have summarised it very well. And it's a, a story about a king and a maiden. Uh, Kierkegaard lived nearly 200 years ago, uh, but this story, he loved, he loved metaphor and parable, and this story is really a parable of uh, what happened when Jesus came into our world. He says this, Suppose there was a king who loved a humble maiden. The king was like no other king. Every statesman trembled before his power. No one dared breathe a word against him, for he had the strength to crush all his opponents. And yet this mighty king was melted by love for a humble maiden who lived in a poor village in his kingdom. How could he declare his love for her? In an odd sort of way, his kingliness tied his hands. How could he declare his love for her? Because if he brought her to the palace and crowned her head with jewels and clothed her body in royal robes, she'd surely not resist. No one dared to resist him, but would she love him? She would say she loved him, of course, but would she truly? Or would she live with him in fear, nursing a private grief for the life she'd left behind? Would she be happy at his side? How could he know that for sure? And if he rode to her forest carriage, in his royal carriage, forest cottage in his royal carriage, with an armed escort waving bright banners, that too would overwhelm her. He didn't want a cringing subject. He wanted a lover. He wanted an equal. He wanted her to forget that he was a king and she a humble maiden and to let shared love cross the gulf between them. For it's only in love that the unequal can be made equal. The king, convinced that he could not elevate the maiden without crushing her freedom, resolved to descend to her. Clothed as a beggar, he approaches her cottage with a worn cloak fluttering loose about him. This was not just a disguise. The king took on a totally new identity. He had renounced his throne to declare his love and to win hers. You know, there's something beautiful, almost parabolic, the parable, 
uh, of the story of Christmas in that little story. You see, God wants your love. He wants my love. God craves your presence. He craves my presence. But he doesn't force himself on us. He's shown his love to us in the most powerful and vulnerable way that we could ever imagine. God became a man in the person of Jesus, born as a baby in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. We call it the incarnation, God becoming flesh like one of us. God wants to be with us. It's wrapped up in the very character and nature of who he is. He designed us for a relationship with him. He made it possible for that broken relationship to be restored because he's Jesus who saves. And he promises, in his promise in Matthew 28, at the very end of the, of the gospel, is this. He says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and teach all nations, baptising them and so on. And then at the very end he says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm with you always to the very end of the age is Matthew's way of ending his good news story with the assurance that Jesus is our Emmanuel, the God who is with us. And so I trust that as Christmas draws near once again for you this year, you'll know something of the immensity of the love of God and you'll be drawn close to the one who gave his all for you and for me. One of the jobs I've been doing over this uh, COVID period has been putting the words on the bottom of these songs. And so I listen to these songs that we uh, play on a Sunday over and over and I just like to acknowledge Craig and, and the team for the wonderful job they've done. But I've been quite moved by some of these songs and to listen to them over and over again has not been a pain. And the song that we, we're going to close with today is a song called Hosanna. And uh, it's just a beautiful song and it talks about a humble king who chose a road that led to suffering and who spared nothing uh, to prove his love for us. Have a listen. <laughs> 